This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. This is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast, episode number 216. In this episode, we talk all about fly fishing at Christmas Island with Jonathan Kylie of Flyskins. You should be a follower of his on social media and should know about some of the patterns we're going to talk about. But the rest of the podcast is going to be new to you because it's the first time he's really talking about his trip out there for Giant Trevally. This episode... Also serves as a reminder for you that there are still some openings for the trip to the Bahamas in June of 2019. We will be visiting Abaco Lodge. There are a few spots available. Please contact me through the website, robsnowwhite.com. For further information about the trip, I can send you a flyer with pricing and everything else. So without further ado, let's go talk to Mr. Flyskins himself, Jonathan Kiley. Hey everybody, I'm Jonathan Kiley. I'm uh, with Fly Skins. Um, I just recently came back from Christmas Island. Pretty epic trip. Some would say a trip of a lifetime, and I would have to agree. So there's that. I don't know where you want to begin, but there's there's a lot lot to talk about. Yeah. So when did you get back? Uh, I got back this past Friday. Jeez. Yeah. You um you have like the hangover after traveling that you're all just bummed that reality's back. 
Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, I'm on my lunch break right now from work. Oh. So, but yeah, no, all, all I can think about now is like the next time I get to go. Nice. Hopefully it's soon. So how did this trip come to fruition? Were you just one day like, I'm going to go to Christmas Island? Um, I think it happened about five years ago, actually. I was working Captain Mike Hennessy out of uh, Hawaii on the fly. He's down in Oahu. And I was making him some custom GT flies. And I was actually making lures then, too. You know, he was like, oh, I'm going. And he's like, I need something that can do this and be lightweight and all this stuff. And this is like... This is how fly skins actually kind of began too. It's kind of funny because um, I wanted to invent materials that would, that would make stuff work. So anyway, long story short, finally, I have some time in my life and I was like, I'm going. And then I saw an email pop up from Front Range Anglers who put it on. And uh, I was like, this is it. I'm going this time. What kind of preparation does one need to do to go all the way to Christmas Island? Uh, well... You know, there's the mental side, there's the physical side, and I think there's the, the gear side. <laughs> so, Any of those you want to break down, let's let's go for it. So, I, mentally, I don't think you can prepare, uh, except for watch a bunch of videos and find out as much as you can. Typically, uh, before I go on any trip, I try to do as much research as possible. And uh, Thankfully, I was in touch with Mike a lot here and there throughout the past couple of years. And, you know, we talk about the fish and how they reacted and what types of flies would work. For different species out there uh, especially gts because that was my, my my main priority while i was there really you know that kind of helps you mentally know what's going to happen and then you know you're flying in right and you see christmas island when you're about to land and thankfully we could see it was beautiful there's a couple clouds in the way but you know you see the flats down there and it's kind of like a big lagoon on the inside of the island but there's these things called pancake flats there and uh is unlike anything i've ever fished in my life which is is a good thing because obviously a new and cool experience but you know it was an unknown um to know what it would be like and the only thing that i can do to describe that would probably be it's like fishing in a desert <laughs> so it's you're out there in the middle of nowhere on these flats you get dropped off you have your guide you know you, you fish and it's hot and the sun is just like it can be brutal or the clouds can be brutal because you don't have enough sunlight. So, but that's part of the challenge, right? Is, is adapting to whatever environment environment you're in to make it happen. So I think that's like the cool part about the whole thing really. And where is Christmas Island on the globe? It's not it near, is. it's not near the Southeast where you're located of no, the U S no. no, it's, uh, it's, it's off the coast of Australia. So, you know, you, you're into very similar types of fish. There's not a huge reef by any means there, um, mostly because we, we fished in the lagoon on the interior side of the island, but it's, it's still um, very similar species. How did you fly there? Did you go from, like, Atlanta to Hawaii? Yeah, yeah, that was the worst. So next time I book a trip, it'll be from, like, uh, where I live to Texas and then Texas there or something just to kind of cut a few extra hours off. But yeah, I flew straight from Atlanta to um, Hawaii and then Hawaii to Christmas Island and back. You have to catch Fiji air from Hawaii. I think they're the only ones that go in and out of there. What kind of water do they serve on their airplane? Is it Fiji water? <laughs> no, I honestly don't even remember. 
See, the water's not that great there. It's all marketing. Yeah, yeah. All right, so what, what gear – actually, I want to talk about gear. I want to talk about the flies, too. Um, let's go gear first. What kind of packing list did you have to get? Yeah, for gear, they provide you a, a pretty good list, um, and anything else really is on, on you. I brought two 12-weight rods. I brought a 10-weight, and I brought a 9-weight. I was supposed to bring a lighter weight rod, but, you know, like I said, I was focused on, like, the bigger fish, the GTs and whatnot. So I wasn't really there to fish for bonefish, even though I caught a few um, with my nine weight. But, yeah, the GTs, uh, obviously, I think are, are more targeted species now, too. So the cool part is there's people designing stuff for them. There's a GT line, even, fly line for 12 weight, which is what I used. I used scientific angler mostly. And then, you know, you want to use, like, the gel spun backing. Let's see. Use 100-pound fluorocarbon straight leader. No tippet, nothing like that. You can in certain situations, but that's basically what I use the whole time, 100 or 80-pound fluorocarbon, anywhere from 8 to 10-foot section. And then I use bait fish patterns for, for all of them. So And um, is the 100-pound for just abrasion resistance for the environment you're in? Versus well, that, them breaking it? Yeah, but a little bit of both. Um, you know, the GTs, they're almost positive. I saw some in probably the 200-pound class. Wow. But they're, they're smart fish, though. They've been around a long time. So if they've ever been caught, it's funny how an apex predator can be so spooky sometimes, too. Because, you know, you throw, <laughs> you throw like a 5-inch or 6-inch fly at them, and if you're not far enough out from them, they'll spook off really quick. It's funny how that works out. Uh, but when they're hungry and they're going to eat and they see your stuff and they're in the zone, there's no stopping it. They come at it like a bull, and then they just destroy it. And when they get hooked, they run. They run like crazy. So it's probably one of the strongest fish I've ever fought on the fly for sure. What other stuff did you, did you have to pack, like specific boots, sun gear? Yeah. Gla- like variety of glasses for the different light? Yeah, I, I brought two different types of uh, glasses. I wore, like, I think it's a Smith Chroma Pop. Uh, it's like an amber color. That was perfect. I wore those most of the time. And then I had, like, a greenish lens. I wore those. They were great, too. They just, most days it was really bright and kind of hurt my eyes. So I went with the darker ones. And then for sun gear, you know, I wore mostly full clothes to where there was no sun exposure because it, it doesn't take long to get beat up out there like i said it's kind of like being in a desert it's kind of weird because you're wet but i had like my my sleeve kind of came up on one of my arms and uh there was like one inch section of my arm that got fried one day because it was exposed but yeah man it was it was insane um I, there's so much to talk about it's crazy what about the like the daily like what's the routine they wake you up breakfast on the flats yeah, um, so it's cool. It's called the Ickery House that we stayed at. It's pretty sweet. It's I-K-A-R-I. Um, anyway, so we stay there. You know, you set your alarm, um, get up. You can eat breakfast. We have a show time, you know, of um, 7 o'clock or 6.30, and then the boat captains and the, the guides are there, uh, which are local, local folks, um, which is pretty cool, too. I'm going to step back for a second. Mike Hennessy is actually... My Kennedy and Front Range Anglers have spent a lot of time, um, you know, working together with them, you know, training them how to be good guides and, 
understanding the water and how to land them on a on a fly and whatnot. So it's pretty cool that their experience level is actually a little higher, I think, just because of that that experience from Mike. So yeah, you get up. You can eat breakfast or not. Take it with you, whatever the case may be. What are they uh, serving? I'm guessing some fresh fruit that's just super tropical and delicious. They do, you know, it's, it's pretty standard, really. They cook some eggs for you, toast, bacon, sausage, stuff like that. Front range, they actually bring a lot of food with them because um, some folks have gotten sick from eating some of the food. You just got to be cautious, you know, with being somewhere different. And then you, you go, you catch a truck. Or you get a boat right there from the actual lodge, which is cool. It depends on the weather or the wind that day coming up on the beach. And then the night prior, though, one thing that's pretty cool is they they take all the guides and they take everybody um, collectively that's there, and they talk about what are your goals to catch that day or, or whatever, and then they pair you and they put you in different locations so that not not everybody's fishing on top of each other, which Honestly, it would be very difficult to do anyway because it's such a huge area. And then from there, you go out, you do your spot, and then the guide has already like figured out several different areas that uh, to fish throughout the day. And then you just hop from one flat to the next, or, or maybe if you go to the back country, that's another section that you can fish, um, which I liked a lot. I actually saw a ton of GT one day that I was there, and another day, you know, it was a little bit less, but. It, it seemed like a really cool place to fish, maybe because it felt, I guess, familiar to me because I've, I've been used to fishing on the sides or the banks for a long time versus out on flats. I don't know. Would it have been nice to have your flight skins boat out there? <laughs> Absolutely, but, you know. It's a little far. It'd be a little far, yeah. We're not all um, as wealthy as uh, that Margaritaville guy who flies around with the float plane with a flats boat in the back. Right. I tried yeah. reading a pirate looks at what a 40 or something. Oh, and then we took my float plane out to Montauk and we lowered out a flats boat to go fishing. I was like, I can't read this book. Right. Yeah. yeah. We can all dream though. Right. Absolutely. At Midway USA, we know the AR 15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use. It's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. So, yeah, man, and then the, the, the flies and the fishing is off the charts, too. I, I prepped, I don't know, for about three months straight making sure that I had all the flies I needed. I, you know, I, I'm one of those guys that never feels like he has enough gear or flies. So that's tough for me. And if I go from a year from now, I'm still, I'm going to start earlier just cause I feel like I need to. <laughs> what are you, what's the forage there for food, fish, crustaceans? What are you trying to match for each species? Yeah. So for GTs, um, I did bait fish only. I, I kind of wish I had some other flies for them to try out, like some squid patterns or something, because I feel like if I had, in the back of my head, I was like, man, if I had a squid and I made it really lightweight, I could drop it on the water and they wouldn't get spooked. And then I could work it a lot slower. Um, and maybe they would just destroy it too. Um, but that's one of those things, you know, that, that's why you go on a trip more than once. Um, but I tied a lot of bait fish for the GTs alone. Just I did straight black or straight 
white or like black with a silver belly. That's I was trying to. There's a I think it's called. Um, it's, it's like a sort of anchovy out there that they really gorge on. So I went with that, and it seemed like the smaller the bait fish, um, the better I did at, at the larger GTs. They just seemed to be less scared of it for some reason. But I did use some hefty hooks. I uh, use a Gamigatsu SC17 tarpon hook. The one aught through the three aughts were perfect. There was no bend in those on those guys so far. So, and then for like the big trigger fish, is I've never thought that I would ever ever chase triggers like I did there. It was pretty sweet. Um, you'd be there's usually like some coral next to the flat or on the flat that you'd you'd fish off of, and then you'd see them tailing. Uh, just like a bonefish in in the coral, just trying to pluck out whatever crustaceans that they could. You, you know, they're they're pretty particular and they're pretty they're spooky as well. So you kind of have to know which way the current's going. You have to have a light fly, but a fly that will sink enough to get down to them. You have to kind of like lead the fly so it'll float towards them as you land it. It's pretty pretty obscure. Uh, in what the norm is um, and then they slowly come over to it as they're feeding usually and then sometimes you don't even know if it's in their mouth and you wait until you feel a little tug and strip it <laughs> it's just very odd i saw a picture on facebook about a week ago of a thumb that somebody got near a trigger fish's mouth and i thought it was photoshopped at first because there's just no tip of the finger I would advise you not to look that up on your own, but were you scared with their mouths? Yeah, I was actually. In fact, you know, they're, unless you know how to handle them, I wouldn't touch them. <laughs> so, but you can do like a tail grab. You can grab them by the tail really quickly and pull them up and hold them underneath. But, you know, they have several points you want to keep away from. Their mouth is one and then the top part. But once you grab them by the tail, there's these scales on the on the tail that kind of like go in reverse, so you can you can actually get a good grip on them. Interesting. Um, and if you try to get if a, if they eat a fly like in their face, good luck getting it out because they will chomp down on your pliers and it, they hit it like a it sounds like a typewriter uh, going off uh, when they hit the pliers. It's pretty pretty uh, pretty wicked. Will they put some damage on those? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yikes! Um, you know. Uh, their their teeth. I don't know. There's one picture I posted recently of their of the front of their face on one of them. It's pretty cool. You can get an idea. Looks like a bunch of molars all over their face. Yeah, that's a gnarly mouth. Yeah. But yeah, definitely don't stick your finger in there. Let's talk about when. So uh, the GTs, Giant Valleys. What what's the process? The guide sees one, and then what do they do? So uh, certain guides, you know. They 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 have like this sixth sense, um, and then some of them, you know, it kind of depends on the day. It kind of depends on a lot of things, and that's the that's the tricky part about targeting them. You can't just go to one location and be like, oh, they're going to be there, because those fish, they're like wolves, right? They hunt in packs. They hunt they hunt by themselves, and you have to kind of learn what ambush points are. Um, and I have fished them in the past, so that maybe I had an advantage, but. What they do is, uh, especially, and this is probably why Christmas Island is so awesome for them, is that um, they have all these flats with coral and bonefish and other fish that, you know, they, they go up to these flats and they can retreat from the normal everyday getting hunted, temporarily anyway. And then as the tide is coming in or out, uh, the GTs will race across the flats from the deep 
sections. So they ambush them as they're coming on or off. Um, so you'll see them on the edges. You'll see them in the feeder creeks that are created by the tides. And it's just it's just an amazing kind of thing that happens while you're out there. That it, it seemed like towards the end of the trip, I really was like getting it, you know, more than more because the other places that I'd fished for them, it wasn't the same type of environment. But this one is definitely probably easier to target them. Um, by no means are they easy though. So you can walk the edge of the flats and you know about 20 or so yards off of the the deep section and you can you can even blind cast out over to make your your fly look like it's a bay fish or whatever trying to retreat to the flat and they'll smash it that way you can throw poppers that way uh or you can just you can fish for trigger fish and then when you see them you can get your other rod now mind you it was a lot like deer hunting in that respect because he'd be fishing for triggers and then you'd see gts and then you you just say okay i'm gonna fish for gts and then all you'd see was triggers and then as soon as you switch your rod you gotta get your other rod so you know you, you kind of need to pick one or the other in my opinion unless you have some way to switch it out quickly and and then if when you're lucky to throw at the gt if you don't spook them and they're following your bait fish you literally have milliseconds to figure out how you're going to strip your fly that's going to keep that gt on target because if you're not doing something right or you stop or your strips are too long or too short i mean you just got to get in his head it's just it's the oddest thing they're not like bonefish where you just do quick little strips or long slow strips or, or what have you and it works once you figure it out this is like you have no time and you just figure it out on the fly once you throw it at them, do you pause? Do you start stripping? Do you wait for them to turn? I'm guessing like the adrenaline is just pumping through your veins, and it's just instinct what you're doing at that point. It really is. Um, I guess if, if you don't spook them and they're there, and if you've cast, let's say the wind sucked and messed you up and you led too far, um, you kind of want to pause. But then you run the risk of snagging on the bottom with a coral. So you kind of... You really got to get it right. Um, there was one day I threw at probably 50 GTs, and I think I caught five that day. So that gives you an indication <laughs> of, uh, of what it's like. Um, but, yeah, you really, if, if you see them, and it, let's say you're on the sand, and that, that can be probably, if you're just on a flat, sandy area, that's probably sometimes the hardest scenario, I think, because they can see uh, if they're too close to you, they'll spook. Sometimes they'll be right up on you, and that, and you don't even know it. Um, maybe it's because you didn't move your feet or whatnot. Um, one thing you definitely need to do is make sure you keep your feet still when you're casting because any crunching underneath or whatever can spook them because then they'll instantly know where you are. you got to lead them. you got to if, – if you can leave your fly on the, on the floor of the ocean until they get there and you strip it, sometimes they'll just – go nuts and then there's no turn it off and they'll hammer it do they fight each other for the fish are they competitive with each other absolutely if they're if they're actively feeding and they want to eat your fly you'll, you'll have sometimes situations um where multiple ones will go after it in fact that happened to me um while i was out there i saw one on the edge it was a little guy but probably like a 10 pound or whatever and i threw at it and it ate the heck out of the fly and then uh, one of the guys I was fishing with, I was like, dude, come over here. And he was probably 50 yards away. 
and he was able to walk all over there and I kept the fish on the line. He had two little two little fish friends, GTs next to him and the other one came up and smashed it and then he was hooked up and I told the guy, I was like, dude, just take my other rod and throw at it. And I had Absolutely. And then he hooked up. Nice. So we, had, we had tripled up. It was nuts. Very cool. I've never seen anything like that. Now, when you set the hook, these things got some pretty big mouths. Is it like tough and thick like uh, you'd find on maybe a tarpon or is it softer um, I mean, you got to really pull that hook in it's it's a little softer but since you're using using a bigger gauge hook you really want to sit set the heck out of it anyway um whether that's sometimes you don't have time either that's the crazy part so you, you go to strip set and let's say you get kind of a strip set in and then they take off you're not gonna be able to do that again so you really got to just give it a couple good yanks on the rod uh maybe just do it straight not an extreme angle you don't break your rod and you, it'll it'll go in there. In fact, one time while I was there, I hooked up on a monster. I, I'd like to think he was 200 pounds, but he basically strip set his own fly, and I didn't even get a chance to. And the line, I was getting ready to pull and yank again, and that was where I screwed up because um, my drag would have set the hook, I'm sure, at the rate of speed he was going. But um, the line wrapped around my fing- my pinky finger, and, and it was still the fly line too, and it literally – it popped. The line just popped off it, he, and he almost like degloved my pinky finger. Ugh. But uh, yeah, there's you know, there's that split second again where you don't have time to react sometimes. And my the funny thing is, I had my line; it was perfectly managed, and there's about two feet out. That was it. And I was honestly just kind of the way I was fishing that particular time was I was letting my fly drift through some current, and I was going to strip it back in, and almost all my line was completely out. But since I went to grab it again and strip set, that's where I kind of jacked up. I should have just let him take it. Do they give up eventually, <laughs> or you just keep dragging them in? Well, uh, the biggest one I caught, he took me into my backing twice, um, and and pretty far too, maybe about a hundred or so yards, and um, so even when they're done they're they just anchor there's like i call if you fish off of a boat for them i call it the death spiral but when they're in the in the flats or whatever they just kind of anchor there they can hold themselves still and that's kind of the key to fighting a big fish too is you want to stop them from going forward because now they're getting oxygen right if you if you can you want to obviously provide as much leverage as possible and that's where that heavy line comes in and heavy backing and everything else you got that reel crank down pretty, pretty tight on them. Yeah, because yeah, they can yeah. only go out. There's no depth to the water. Well, there is. So that's the that's the other part that sucks. Oh. <laughs> so if you do catch one on the flat, and let's say you're in the middle of the flat, they're going to try to retreat to the deep water. So they're going to try to run off of the flat down deep. And then the reason that sucks is because now there's usually coral on the edge, so they can cut you off. So that's why if you catch one and it starts running to the deep, you got to run with them. So just just to save your line and save and save the fish, you just got to start booking it. <laughs> Is there a, a particular spot they they know to break you off? Like you know, I can imagine a Far Side cartoon with a bunch of GTs like pointing over there, like yeah, that's where Jim broke off the <laughs> the Yankee the other day. Right? No, I don't. I don't know that they do it on purpose um i just think it's like their safe space 
and they're just <laughs> lucky to have a sharp edge there that the line breaks off on. Yeah, yeah, and you, and then I think what happens too is if you break one off, and let's say he had some buddies down there, more than likely they're going to be spooked too, because whenever oh, they run. Yeah, when they take off, there's so much vibration in the water that it spooks everything out of the way. Right. And how long is the fishing day out there? It was about 10 hours, usually, which to me, that's great. In fact, I go on trips. I want to stay the entire time it's light out. So that I've been to Belize, too, and, it you know, you go out and you're like, well, shoot, we left two hours after and we're coming back two hours early. What the heck? So (laughs) Yeah, you go all that way, you want to fish. Yeah, Uh, I mean, I don't care how tired I am. I just want to go. Were there any predators that would chase down, any sharks or cudas or weird indo-pacific um fish that would prey upon your catch not for the not for the gts um i didn't see any like that in fact there were cudas out there in fact i think a couple guys caught them i honestly did not um i don't think that's the thing you gotta worry about with the gts especially the bigger ones um i mean it's possible that a shark uh would probably come up and grab one if especially if it's really tired towards the end of your fight but it wasn't something that i had to deal with what else did you see out there besides the the bones the triggers and the gts um well there was one time i asked the guides to take me out um over this reef section because you can see big gts on the prowl that way as well we saw a few out there not as not as many as we did on the flats and i was just uh blind casting a few times i caught uh some bluefin trevally that way and then uh, I caught a few snapper off the reef, which was pretty cool with the same exact pattern that I was using for the GTs. So it was pretty neat. You know, you can catch tons of different species out there. I caught a Picasso trigger, which is, I think that's, there's another name for it. I can't say it. it's got too many uh, syllables, but it's the Hawaiian. Um, Homunka, Munka, Pua, yeah. Lana, something. Yeah, that one. So. I caught that one, uh, a mustache trigger and a peach face trigger, bunch of bones, snapper, you know, GT, blue fin trevally, and then there's like a yellow fin trevally too. And then there was some queen fish. You can also do an offshore day, which I didn't do, and I kind of wish I had, but I was so amped up on GTs. Um, I'll probably do it next time, but you can catch wahoo, yellow fin tuna, grouper, all, all types of other fish, too. Do they have potato oh. cods out there? Mm, I'm not familiar with what that is, actually. Those are, you always see those people diving around Australia. They're like big grouper that are big white spots on them. They look like potatoes. Huh. Call them no, potato I, cod. I don't recall seeing those, actually. And so then after you're done, you go back. I'm guessing you got to hydrate a lot being out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you, you want to... You take water with you and try to drink as much as possible while you're there. Bring some electrolyte powder, um, some Pedialyte, whatever you got to do. And then um, get back, clean up, and then, you know, usually have dinner. It's usually a nice dinner every night, I thought. Um, some of the guys that went offshore, they brought uh, fish back with them. They cooked it there. And then just chill and hang out, swap stories, and get your gear ready for the next day. Nice. Pretty much simple routine, beautiful thing. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. Other types of wildlife besides fish? Are there any cool birds, some exotic flowers and plants growing around the island? Yeah, uh, there's some uh, frigates. 
those types of birds with a big split tail. They usually go really high up in the air, but you'd see them in the back country. And then um, and some blue-footed boobies, those were there. And then that's the, there's some gulls and whatnot. And then, oh, another thing I saw too, one day, I think it was the last day I was there, I saw a pod of, or a school, I don't know, of hundreds of dolphins, black dolphins. And they were just doing the coolest acrobatics I've ever seen. I think it'd be fun to switch with a dolphin for a day. <laughs> like the way they ride bows of tanker ships and just flip and. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. looks like fun to be a dolphin. Right? Yeah. And it, the only thing that stinks about fishing near them is they usually scare off lots of fish. So. That, and they try to rape you if you're yeah, swimming you with them. Those things are perverts. <laughs> Yeah. That was the classic story. Our high school used to do a trip to the Caribbean every year, and apparently the teacher got molested. Oh, geez. Like, it was wrapping its thing around her. <laughs> so for years, that was like, you know. Jeez. <laughs> I'm sure that's traumatic. <laughs> yeah. Um, what What's, like, life like on the island? Is the is it ecotourism is the main income source? Yeah, so... You know, honestly, I think the main income is probably the anglers that come there. You know, they there was a, several doctors, I'm sure, and dentists and things that came from the states to help out with certain things. It's not, you know, it's not a rich country by any means. There's not a lot of money there at all. In what fact, country does a, does Christmas Island belong to? That's a good question. I I think it sounds well. I'm not even going to try it, but there is one main island that governs it. And I do know the currency there was Australian, but it's not Australia that that is in charge of it, I guess you could say. But but the islands, there's several different islands that are governed by the same entity, and they're all over the ocean. Some some are like 2,000 miles apart. Nice. I don't have a lot of history on that yet. I'm, I plan on brushing up on that here, I'm sure, soon. Right, right. So, yeah, I mean... If you want to catch triggerfish, like awesome triggerfish and GTs, by by far, that has been the best place I've ever been. Nice. I want to go back to some of your – let's talk about some of your products and how you use them to design the flies. Yeah. After all, you are fly skins. Right. Yeah. So you got just the skins lab and you got free range to create what you, you could. Talk about yeah. some of the materials you used and some of the patterns you made. And yeah. were these patterns you just made up? Like, I'm going to make up my own. Like, you had a mantis shrimp with blue bead eyeballs, I remember. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's the beauty of having your own lab, I guess, right? You can just come up with whatever you want. So for the GTs, I actually made a bait fish, a new type of product. I can't get into details yet. But I made a new product to make a bait fish that was absolutely killer. And I actually cross-talked with Mike Hennessy about it before I left. I was like, what do you think of this? And he was like, dude, they're going to poop it out before you have time to set the hook. So <laughs> I was like, okay, that's the one then. So, <laughs> um, so I made them, and I made like a couple dozen each 
of two different colors or three different colors and um i made some poppers to go along with it and i'll tell you what the scary the the thing is i'll go on a trip and i don't want to buy or use any flies that anybody else is using because that's just not my thing right yeah it's like uh, to me it's like using someone else's toothbrush you just don't do it yeah i can't i can't do that so um you know and i I'm sure I was a pain in the butt to some folks, you know, on the, you know, trying to help me out on the trip. I was like, look, I just, I just can't do it. I got to do my own thing. <laughs> if I don't catch anything, it'll be my fault. <laughs> so, um, but it, I felt like it had a great effect. I mean, I did really good. I caught everything I wanted to, except for that one that broke me off, you know, but, and then for the, and I'll be releasing that bait fish thing here soon too. So that's going to come out. I'm probably going to do a video and stuff on YouTube as well. Nice. But, um, and I'm going to do some videos on the other patterns that work, but the, the patterns that worked really well were some of the recent ones I posted on Instagram before I left with the, uh, I called them, uh, trash panda flies because I used a uh, raccoon tail, uh, on a lot of them. And then on the were body, you looking for the certain movement that the raccoon fibers give in the water. I think I was looking for color a lot too because the cool part about raccoon tail i think is that you have different color ranges on the same tail so it's like beautiful i can have more darker tipped uh fur or lighter tips or what have you and it's like a great selection all in one place you getting um, these trash pandas yourself or these uh store-bought no i didn't do any roadkill uh you know procurement but no i bought them I, actually i bought it a long time ago uh i think from like etsy or something but yeah, I just I have one tail and it's lasted me forever. But so I had some some of that with that on there. I make my own eyes um, with like glass beads and epoxy and some glitter, and I used exoskin in different colors for the body, and it was pretty simple. And I think the cool part about using the exoskin on the on the hook, like wrapping it like you would a grub or a, or, or a midge or something, is the fact that it's chewy. And I think honestly. The reason why some of the triggers ate like they did with my fly was because it was like something that they could chew on. It was like had a texture that they were familiar with. Right. So I don't know. Maybe it's in my head, or maybe that's what I want to think. But either way, I think it. I think it was successful. Any colors work better out there? Um. Yeah. So tan, tan colors were great. White worked well as well. Not as well as the tan. Um, and then like I have this color, it's a golden brown, uh, has like gold properties in it and the brown for the exoskin and it worked, I thought it worked fantastic. That was, in fact, that's what I caught my trigger on. Um, my bigger trigger, it was, uh, it had like a, the golden brown exoskin with some silly legs and eyes and some, uh, trash panda fur. Were other people trying to get your flies from you? Yeah. After the, well, prior to the first day, they wanted to try some, and I, I let them. And then after that, yeah, I pretty much, I gave away a lot of flies. I usually do that anyway. But, yeah, I let, I let some folks use them, and, yeah. It was, especially the bait fish, they really wanted the GT flies. Were the guides just like, what the heck are these things? These are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you just saw like, pretty damn unique looking. I'm sure they don't get to see that too often. Yeah, no, it was pretty cool to watch their their expressions when it happened. You open your box and you're like, "Did you make these?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, you know, it started a whole another conversation. So, but no, I 
and you know i don't i don't try to get that reaction i just you know i'm just i'd like to just fish and catch things on everything so yep did you test a lot of their actions before you got there to just to make sure those the bait fish didn't land on their side or their head yep no i did absolutely that's the tricky part too is like you know i in the bait fish i actually came up with probably really late like maybe just a couple weeks prior to me leaving i was trying to fine-tune some things i didn't like something else that i made and i was like i gotta do something different like now so then i just started drawing stuff up and then i just did it i think it was about a week out i finally was able to get out and test it on the water and thankfully it worked the first time and i was like this is it i got it and then i went back home and just started plugging away on the vice very nice anything you would have changed in your flies for next time um or that's what you gotta get a plan on until the next one right i think i would come up with a few different colors for some of the gt flies especially like uh maybe some tan and black back ones uh for some like especially the the areas where they were solely on the flat like um in, in the lighter colors maybe but i'll be honest if they were going to eat they'd eat anyway and i don't i think as long as you get the placement right you're golden but i think the for some reason an all black bait fish just absolutely triggered something in their brain that they just wanted to kill it i'll have tons of those and i'll probably make some even smaller ones and i might even integrate some foam into them so that they suspend because i think that would be a cool feature so what about a fly skins baby albatross bird pattern <laughs> have you seen that video i take it yeah well also if you remember way back uh, early 90s there was the trials of life with david attenborough and they had tiger sharks eating albatrosses that would yeah. take off and land and they would just come up and crush them yeah um i don't know see that's the that's the tough part too because I don't think you're going to get that type of reaction unless they're in a feeding frenzy, you know, in a bait ball. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't any situations like that where I had that. I think if you threw a big bird fly, uh, for whatever reason, you just spook everything around you. Yeah. But I mean, it'd be cool if you're on a boat all day and you were just searching for bait balls or birds. I mean, that would be wicked. That would be pretty sweet to do. Uh, it might be a little hard to cast, but <laughs> I think it'd be pretty sweet to be honest, just to say that you did. Um, yeah, I don't know. I did catch, I did catch a GT on a pretty cool pattern though. I caught one on a, on a Nemo color. Every time we're in an aquarium, all you hear is the kids yelling. Every time they see a clownfish, it's Nemo. Yeah. <laughs> it's a clownfish kid. I know. I know. Yeah. Um, did you have like one little fin on the side like Nemo has? I didn't, but I wanted to, I kept telling the guys that too. I was like, I forgot the fins. I'm sorry. Yeah not it's not authentic <laughs> anything that just totally blew your mind and surprised you out there like uh, that you, were, you were just not expecting like uh, scenery maybe maybe a little bit of the scenery when it when it pertains to the flats but i think honestly the amount of physical work compared to other trips that you put in and i i, I don't say that it's say that as it's hard i guess it's as hard as you want it to be right but you know, I would probably say that it's better for someone to do that on like their second saltwater trip if they've never been on one. Just because I think if they had, if 
most people that get to go on those trips aren't necessarily in the best of shape, I would say. Um, some are, some aren't. But, you know, if if you're looking for a saltwater trip that's tough physically, mentally, everything, that's the one. Um, Is it the chasing down the fish and throwing big rods? Yeah, I think that's a little bit of it. But, you know, you're just – you're constantly – you have to be on guard the entire time. You have to be constantly – amped up and you know by the end of the day that can take a lot out of you but i think that's the beauty of the hunt right i just there's something about that if it isn't hard it almost doesn't seem rewarding so i i feel like that may or may not be a good thing to say but it's just fact that it is hard and it is you know rewarding at the same time you just have to be willing to put in the work i mean if i didn't want to be challenged in fishing i would throw bait i'm just live bait all the time well, there's that. Too, yeah, yeah, I like the challenge of, of doing it all. Yeah. So, Figuring I mean, things out as you go. I was joking with somebody on the trip. I was like, man, I could totally make like a workout routine for this place. And it would be tying gallon jugs to your legs and holding 60-pound dumbbells over your arm, over your head. The GT workout. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I'll come out with a video for that. I'm just kidding. You I could have uh, infomercials. <laughs> right? Yeah come up with a, a shake weight that works like a fly rod or something absolutely i haven't heard the term shake weight in a long time I just, i'm bringing it back for you yeah our friends had one every year at their white elephant it was the same one that just got passed round and around but they live overseas now so yeah we don't see them anymore the shake weight <laughs> that and the uh the thigh master one of the, the two great exercise inventions there you go that'd be a good one you can work a thigh master into the workout somehow yeah, you just attach your forearm and your and your femur and right. then just pretend like you're casting off your leg. <laughs> Was there anything did you want to have tying gear there to tweak stuff? I you know, I wish I did, but I'll tell you what, like you know, you're only limited you're limited on uh the amount of weight that you take with you. Uh so you know, you're 50 pounds in a bag and if you want to check an extra bag it costs a fortune. So that's got to be pretty difficult packing and Taking things out, yep. Cutting handles off your toothbrushes. <laughs> I didn't go that extreme, but I was right at fifty pounds. And then, you know, that's including you want to take honestly. If you if you want to do it right, you take your rod case and carry on on the plane. You, if you pack your rod case and you want to shove it in your bag, that's fine. But it's gonna you know it's just gonna increase the amount of weight. And you know you take big reels and big everything and tons of flies and it, it does add up quickly, especially like the wading boots. And uh, some folks wore their wading boots. I was, I was going to ask on, that on the airplane. Yeah they, yeah, they wore them on the airplane to take some of the weight down, which is pretty smart. I mean, those some of those wading boots, especially the old ones, they're freaking heavy. So, did you come back with anything cool decorations for your house? Anything to hang up in the lab? No, nah, no, I have some really cool photos though, and memories, of course. But uh, I think I actually was uh, tossed around the idea. Uh, I do a lot of woodworking too, and I was gonna carve a GT out of wood and hang it over my mantle. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah, I think I might do that still. I've got a big log in the backyard I can work on. Nice. I just have squirrels in my yard. Do you? <laughs> yeah. I'll throw ice cubes at them. Nice. What's your next trip? You planning something else? Or are you still on the the travel well, high from Trevally Land? Uh, I think I'm still on the travel high, but I got some work trips coming up. I got to travel with all over. But uh, I think what I'm going to do is uh, I got a trip to Toledo Bend coming up. 
in the spring to Texas. And then I was going to say Ohio, but okay. Yeah. For bass. Nice. And then, and then I'm probably going to go after that, probably back to Christmas Island at some point. Okay. You going anywhere for the holidays? You sticking around town? Uh, just sticking around town, trying to take it easy. That's all. Maybe even come up with some new patterns. I got a lot of work to do with fly skins still and, and my other job. So, you know, I hear that. Yeah. A little shutdown coming up. Yeah. It'd be kind of nice. Yeah. Get some downtime. Um, anything else you want to add from the trip that you think listeners might need to know how to contact the, you know, the, the shop. Yeah. If you want, I mean, if anybody wants to just go to front range anglers online and they're out of uh, Denver, Colorado, and then you can always hit up Mike Hennessy and on Hawaii on the fly. If you just search for them, you'll find them on Facebook, Instagram. You'll find them uh, online. It's pretty easy. Uh, ask them any questions you want. I'm sure. I'm sure they'd appreciate it. And just they're, I would say they're by far the most knowledgeable for that trip, hands down. So I don't know that I would book it with anybody else. To be honest with you, after seeing what I saw, it's a good endorsement. So, yeah, I it I don't I yeah it was great. I don't have anything else to say. Nice, very cool. All right, well, let's let you get back to your lunch. And yeah, Rob, appreciate it. Absolutely, this is pretty cool. I was just been following the planning of this trip, and so we got to hear the stories. Yeah, yeah. If anybody has questions, they can hit me up on Instagram or Facebook, and I'll be glad to answer. And um, I might even time some flies if I have time. Nice. Any shows coming up for you in the spring and the winter? Actually, uh, I might go to a few, but I'm not going to be in them. I just uh, I can't fit it in my schedule this year. So right. Everything's kind of crazy with the new new transition in, in my new job. Any products people should go buy for stocking stuffers or request for stocking stuffers? Well, it depends on what you like, but I got a little bit of everything for all different types of fish, salt, or fresh. So, yeah, um, I have some new products I'm trying to release here for next year. I'm working on those right now. So I don't know how you have time to get all this stuff done. <laughs> Me either. Yeah, do you sleep? <laughs> uh, sleep's overrated. All right. Well, very cool. All right, Mr. Kylie, thank you so much, and we'll have to have you on again sometime. Thank you. All right, dude. Much appreciated Thanks, for your time today. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. search for the one they call king but who will take his throne tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv a life that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. 
Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.